Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwinipu, and this is episode 233. I'm joined on this chilly Monday night, the night before the Knicks finally play some basketball again. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Stacy. That is at StacyPatton89. Stacy, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. I'll actually be there tomorrow night, so fun times. Congrats. Big, yeah, uh, yeah I had a score. good friend so just found out today. So get to uh get to see IQ lock up Cade Cunningham. Yeah. Uh who's your friend? Is it um just just a so, work friend. Oh, so it's not like your fiance. Because if it was your fiance, I was gonna say congrats on the sex. <laughs> yeah. No, I did she did once come to me. Oh, did she? Me. Just the once. Just the once. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she did once come with me to a Pistons Knicks game. That was the first game I ever took her to. And Mario Hazonia, it was the last game of the season. Mario Hazonia was the starting point guard, and the Knicks lost by forty points. So, oh, it was that game? I know exactly. That was like the yes. end of the uh, twenty eighteen nineteen season. Yeah, she was cheering at the end just when the Knicks completed the pass. So, um, it was. Uh, she sat through the whole thing. I'll give her credit for that. Is that when you knew? I, I guess that's when I knew. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get started, I do have to announce that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There's a there's a six dollar tier. Jesus, couldn't even get the fucking tiers right. Six dollar tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. You also get access to. Strickland Mailbag, hosted every other week by Drew Steele, a.k.a. Doug. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the mix even more. You also get access to, and much more importantly, wonderful weekly articles by Jack Hunley, Matthew Miranda, and other writers such as Jeffrey Rasmussen. Some of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in our pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, all right, I'm going to try to be a little bit more positive on this podcast, because I've been a miserable curmudgeon lately, thanks to a certain man named Tom Thibodeau. Um, but before we begin with some positivity. I want to go back and I want to address this stuff one last time. Okay. I want, I'm just going to use this article as an example because it was the latest one that came out. This one is from Ian Begley. It's from end of the last, end of last week. Um, and in it, I would not say he's necessarily defending Tom Pluto, but he is painting a portrait, a sympathetic portrait towards him. And I think a lot of this stuff just misses the mark. I think it flat out misses the mark. It misses what 
a lot of people, including myself and you, have been critical of with regard to Tibbs, especially last season. Okay, and I want to start here. So here's here's one. This is a quote. This is from the article. Of course, it shouldn't be all. It shouldn't all be on Thibodeau. I don't believe that it is. It should be on everyone in the organization, from team president Leon Rose on down, to show results in the group's third full season. Sure, Thibodeau is responsible for lineup slash rotation decisions, but he didn't pick all of the players. He didn't make the final call in the Donovan Mitchell negotiations. He didn't create a natural pressure point in the roster by drafting Obi Toppin and signing Randall to an extension. So if the Knicks struggle the season, no one should be absolved from criticism. They added Jalen Brunson in the offseason and decided not to finalize a trade to acquire Mitchell from Utah. Given the current roster, expectations externally are probably pretty low for the group. But the head coach is the employee who takes the most criticism day in and day out in the NBA. That's the nature of the job. And for this Knicks coach in this particular season, every decision he makes during a loss will be dissected. Fair or not, that's how it is. I hate the entire framing of this passage. Um, Thibodeau, you're right. Thibodeau didn't pick all the players. Is there a coach, pray tell, that picks all of his players? Is there a coach in the NBA that does that? Pop, maybe. So, so no, right? That's basically, no. You, no coach in the NBA gets to pick all the players. Okay? Great. He didn't make the final call in the Donovan Mitchell negotiations. What the fuck does this have to do with anything about his job, the current job that he has to do with this team? Like, is anybody asking Tom Thibodeau to win the fucking championship this year? Is anybody asking Tom Thibodeau to even be competing for home court in the first round this year? Is anybody even demanding this man make a top six seed so that they're an automatic playoff team? I don't think anybody's demanding that. So I don't know what any of this shit has to do. Like, nobody's expecting anything crazy to do for him to do here. Like, we're asking for some bare minimum stuff. And to Ian's credit, I did ask him on Twitter. I said, look, I, I'm paraphrasing this. I'm not going to go find my tweet. Paraphrase this, and I was like, Ian, from I think me and you've talked about this. A lot of Knicks fans talk about. It. I feel like most Knicks fans are expecting. Like, what would you say is an expectation of a fair season? Forgetting the development of key young players, part of it. I think most people are like, be a competitive team, make the plan, be around five hundred ish or slightly above. I feel like that is the expectation, and I'm. I don't think that's crazy. I think that's fair. And to Ian's credit, he agreed. He said yes. Like a thirty-seven win season, like last year, where you're playing all the vets a bunch. That's probably not a good look for him, and you should probably get fired. Okay. And I agree with that, and I also think if that happens, and I said this as well, that if that's how it plays out, that it should not just be Thibodeau that gets fanned, it should also be potentially the front office, because if they allow that to happen for an entire year, that is criminal. Okay. Now, going back to this, okay? He didn't create a natural pressure point in the roster by drafting Obi Toppin and signing Rail to an extension. I think this is... A, I think this totally is wrong. Like, he is creating a natural pressure point by not ever trying to play them together and then also refusing to play OB more than, like, backup minutes whenever Randall is healthy and, and playing Randall 35 minutes a, a, a night. I think that's not entirely on him. And if you want to say the front office is culpable too, I'm with that. But you, he, he can't get a pass for that. His handling of OB has been ridiculous, especially not as a rookie. Actually, as a rookie, I think his handling of him was fair and actually quite good at times. 
I think his handling of Obi last year was egregious across the board. Um, and I think he's very lucky that Obi seems to be a very hard worker and self-motivated and um, takes hard instructions well. It's like, or takes hard coaching well. Um, and then I, I, I really don't like this part. They added, like, this is a combination here, but they added Jalen Brunson in the offseason, decided not to finalize a trade to acquire Donovan Mitchell from Utah. Given the current roster, expectations externally are probably pretty low for the group. I don't care. Like, I'm not, again, like, I don't think our expectations or even the external expectations are very high. Like, the Knicks over-under, which we talked about extensively, and we're going to talk about again probably, is 39 and a half. Does that seem like the, like, and I feel like most Knicks fans have looked at that over-under and are like, it seems about right. You know? Like, I don't think anybody's like, that's crazy low or that's way too high. I think everybody's like, yeah, that seems, you know, in the ballpark. So if this is all the case, like, I don't think anybody's asking a lot of Tom Thibodeau. And and then the final thing is this. Like, this is my final piece of this. Okay. I'm gonna this I'm gonna read out what he said, what Ian wrote in this article. Okay. I would never tell fans how to root for their team, but I think Thibodeau deserves the benefit of the doubt heading into year three. If the Knicks started off strongly and are competitive through the first two months of the season, there won't be as much angst around Thibodeau's rotations, rotations slash decisions. No one will be up in arms over the things he says slash doesn't say in a press conference. I, I kind of feel like this is a little bit dismissive of fan concerns, and I think this is extremely generous to Thibodeau like, this is not a coach who is an unknown, okay? This is one, it's his third year with this team. So we already have a pretty big sample size as fans of this team that have lived with this team day in, day out for the past two seasons. We have seen a strong sample size of how he manages this roster, this particular set of players, which I think it's fair to say that over the last couple of years that has it, there's mostly not been a lot of major upheaval, right? They've done, a, they've kept most of the core pieces together. So we have an understanding of like how he views a lot of these players, how he uses, utilizes a lot of these players, how he mixes and matches groups, which is to say he doesn't mix, mix and match groups all that much. Um, it's I don't think it's about giving him the benefit of the doubt. Like I would love if Tom Thibodeau comes out and does a great job coaching his team. I would love that. But like I have my doubts on some of the decisions that he's going to make in all likelihood. Like, we already have some inkling from Thibodeau that that Evan Fournier is the going to be is going to be the starter, and also more that like it really wasn't much of a decision for him. Um, that's a little bit concerning. We'll get to that later because I don't with Grimes' injury, I can kind of understand a little bit. But at the same time, I think the mindset of like he was a front runner is a little bit weird to me. Anyway, um, we we know we just know some things about Tibbs, right? Like we know that. It takes a long time for him to make adjustments with a rotation, with a starting lineup, whatever it is. Okay? That's just a fact. That's who he is as a coach. These aren't even criticisms. These are just facts of how he operates. Okay? We also know that he will want to have 48 minutes of room protection on the floor almost at all times. Right? He he loves having his, you know, uh, starting, what do you call it? Uh, his starting center. And uh, that that's kind of like his thing, right? He, he's got to have 48 minutes of room protection, starting centers, whatever, like a true five, I guess, probably the best way to put it, on the floor. Okay? That's just so you're not, you're probably not going to get a lot of Randall OB experimentation. 
you're probably not going to get a lot of even Cam Reddish looks at the four because he just doesn't like that. He likes having two big... Well, he he has used RJ with Cam as the three and four. When Did he do that when he had more options at the four? I think he only did that when Randall... When one of Randall or Obi was out. Or in that Phoenix game where both were out. Yeah, that's true. But he didn't... I mean, he didn't go to, like, Taj... Um, there, I do. I want. He never went small. I do want to say, maybe Randall is in foul trouble or something. Like I feel like that's a lineup. I don't think he hates that lineup just because RJ can play. Like of all the innovative things we could ask him to do, I think RJ at the because I do consider RJ the four in that lineup or them kind of. Whatever. Like terms... it yeah, it, they're the three and the four, whatever you want to put it. Yeah. So I think that that's where it, I think like RJ, like I could see, like I don't think he hates that as much as maybe Obi and Randall together or something like that. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. That, that's still fine. Not his go to, but yeah. yeah. Like these are just things. And, and so my thing is like, I don't think fans, like it's easy to say fans should give them the benefit of the doubt. And Alan Hahn was saying the same thing last week. Like, oh, if you disagree, you just. You're just mad. You just want to hate Thibodeau. And it's like, I don't want to hate the head coach of my basketball team. I promise you I don't want to. What I hate is the idea that, like, we have to treat him like some, you know, nouveau head coach with no prior sample and the, to I, judge I'll, him off of. Like, on, we, we know some things about him, and it's okay. It is okay for fans to be frustrated or express frustrations when he is actively saying things at press conferences that come across as gaslighting, you know, and he did that last year and did this year, like, you know, this, this whole, Oh, I watched the, I actually watched the games. You know, I, I see a lot of people criticizing that don't watch the games. Like, buddy, I want to let you in on a secret. Nobody watches Knicks, the Knicks more than Knicks fans. Okay. Like, no, like you, I'm you do. That's fine. But like Knicks fans watch the fucking team, bro. They watch the team. And they are making their criticisms, assessments, analysis, whatever, based on watching the team. So the idea that, like, only he watches the game and that stuff is ridiculous. Um, and also, like, I got to say this, because I, I got into a little back and forth with Alan Hahn, too. And I just want to, like, I said, you know, he was saying, like, oh, I try to understand Thibs' decisions because that's my job. And, like, yes, I agree, understanding the man's decisions should shape your analysis to some degree. Anybody's analysis, right? Where I totally disagree with it, though, is like, it is one thing to be like, I understand why he's starting Evan Fournier. It is another thing to then kind of poke fun at fans who disagree vociferously with that decision. Or, you know, act like fans who want something different and are highly critical of probably being force-fed what is largely going to be the same lineup except for Brunson in place of Burks. People that are against that because they feel, and not for illogical reasons, but I think for pretty logical reasons, like, feel that, hey, uh, you know, we are not going anywhere taking this approach. And that's not just a criticism of Tibbs. That's also criticism criticism of the front office. But the point is, like, not only are we not going anywhere, but, like, there's data to suggest like, yeah, oh, Tibbs wants to win. Cool. Is there, like, is there some coach in the NBA I'm unaware of that doesn't want to win? Nobody is questioning Tibbs' desire Who to coaches win. coaches Oklahoma City? I mean, I bet if you put a gun to his head, he'd probably tell you, I want to win games. I can't help what Sam Presti wants me to do. 
But like, like, it's it's a it's it also makes no sense. Like, oh well, he's gonna play the vets because he wants to win. Okay, but like, if the vet, forget whether they're a vet or a rookie or a fucking seventy-eight-year-old fucking army veteran or something, I, I don't care who the fuck it is. If he's not playing, are you playing good lineups? Are you playing the best lineups the most minutes? Are you are if a lineup isn't working, are you willing to adjust? Are you really like these are the like that is how you win games. It is not about oh well he's gonna play the vets because he wants to win. That's a cop out. I'm sorry, that's a cop out and that's a cop out he got last year. You know, like I, I'm sorry, like if you if you want to win, that's great. I'm all for that. I don't want the Knicks to tank. I don't care about tanking. I don't I have actively for years I've said I don't care about tanking. I don't want this team to tank. I want them to try to win basketball games. Okay? But there's a way to win basketball games. Like it, there's there's no way you can ever convince you will never convince me that he optimized the winning potential of the team last year. I don't think he did. I really don't think he did. But does any coach optimize they get um, a lot closer. He that's, he that, was that's the question, right? Yeah. Cuz I think that, that this is what and it sounds like a small distinction, but I think this is where a lot of people get into because they're like, what did you want him to do? And then you say the things, and he's like, all right, but every coach has flaws. Overall, we're doing well. The players develop, blah, blah, blah. It's like, what is the right amount of acceptable, you know, mistake? Every, I mean, Pop makes mistakes, right? Um, you know, it's, Spolcher it's, makes mistakes. So what is the acceptable amount where so you're living to live with it, right? It's, so. it's, it's, I don't even think it's about that. It's about like, when something is obviously bad, you want to see at some point the coach be like, okay, I should change this. Like, this is why I actually, I credited him last year when he took Kemba out. I wasn't happy that he stuck with Burks as the pivot for as long as he did, but I cred- I, I was happy he did that. And I was and then actually- he brought, um, did he bring Kemba back just because of COVID and injuries or did he actually? COVID, no, COVID game, COVID basically forced his hand to play Kemba. Kemba played well for three games and then for some reason... He decided that that now Kemba had to play until it was more. So we wasted another 15 games of Kemba starting, where he was obviously terrible again. And then we finally got rid of him for good. But like, like there are just things that don't. I like. I'm sorry, it didn't make sense to not play quickly a point guard at at a certain point last year. It just didn't. Like, I don't care what the logic was. I don't care what the hell film he's watching. I don't care how many times he watched it. I don't give a fuck what the numbers that he's looking at were saying because they weren't good numbers. They that much. That that was an obviously terrible decision. Like that was. It just was. And and he like he, this is two years in a row. You want me to trust the coach? There are things about Tibbs I trust. I trust that the man can coach up a defense. I actually do trust him with player development. I don't trust him to then like <laughs> trust those players he's developing uh, with bigger roles and expanding them in season, especially. But I do think he's good at player development. I can trust him with those things. I'll tell you what I don't trust him with. Player evaluation, roster management, and the final piece, I don't trust him to pick lineups. I don't at all. He's This is two years. The last two years, the Knicks starting lineup has been probably the worst thing about the team. It's been the worst thing about the rotations the, the last two years. Even when we won 41 and 31, we were all saying at the time, Alfred Payne was terrible. He was garbage. He was a bad player. And, so and there were... what would you say to the idea, um, you know, Strickland contributor in front of the pod, um, Benji Ritholtz has brought up the idea. 100% believe it. That Tibbs just wants to play a starters to a draw and win with the bench, which isn't, 
crazy just on its surface. And to some extent, it makes sense given the Knicks' strength is depth, right? Um, it is not top-end talent. The, the, the problem is why he plays that. If you think the bench can win minutes, are there, you know, can you play a, the starter some minutes, play the bench some minutes, and then mix and match a little bit? Uh, you know, you don't have to match the, the other team as much, especially if you believe this, the bench is really good, right? Are they so far apart that the starters are way better than the bench, but the bench happens to be the best bench in the league? That's where I think people... Um, but just curious your thought whether that's a workable situation, you know, just play the starters to draw and win with the bench. Um, you know, yeah, what, I mean, what are, I what are think, your thoughts on that hypothesis? I think that Benji is right. And I think that's a great way to win a lot of regular season games. And I think that's a way that you ultimately are limiting the potential of your team. You are limiting the scope to evaluate many players on your team. And I think it is a strategy that will always, 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 it will always come back to bite you in the playoffs. Because in the playoffs, you don't get to play another team's bench. You don't get to capitalize on another team's bench because rotations are getting cut. You're playing eight guys. You're playing seven guys. Sometimes you're playing six guys. That's just how it is. So if you are not attempting through points of the season to really like play your best lineups the most minutes together and prioritize playing them the most minutes together to some extent, like that's a problem. And it's a different like it's different for Steve Kerr to not do that in the regular season. Why? Because he has Steph Curry, he's got Draymond, he's got Clay, he's got stars, and he knows exactly what he's going to do in the playoffs, right? He knows that when it comes down to it, he can up those guys' minutes, he can cut dudes like fucking Wontas Connelly Anderson last year or something like that. He can cut the minutes of guys that he doesn't need. The Knicks are not in that in that scenario. The Knicks, one, don't have a top-end star, right? They're also just a younger team. And so what you need to be doing, if you really want to try to unearth some, like, a high upside potential, right, for the team and for individual players, you really need to do more to find out information about the younger guys on this team. And I'm not saying he has to go fucking start. Look, he's not going to, right? Especially because you signed Brunson. But I'm not saying he has to start quickly, RJ, fucking Grimes, Obi, and Jericho Sims, right? I'm not saying that. But, like, we need to see some prioritization of like some of the long-term goals while still trying to win games. That's not impossible with this team. You know, it's just not. Like, again, I think this is my frustration with Derrick Rose still being here, even though he seems like, I mean, he seems like a great locker room presence. So that that has some value. But like, some of my frustration with Derrick Rose playing being here still is that he's going to play a lot. I think he's probably going to play, when he's healthy, he'll play more than quickly. And I just really have no idea what this is achieving for the team in the short or long term at this point. Because as good as Derrick Rose is, I think quickly matches him in terms of impact at this point in their careers. Which is not a knock on Derrick Rose, by the way, because I think quickly's really good. Um, but like I think not only are you reducing that, but you're also like at some point these kids, they're not fucking that young anymore, right? You're talking about like third year, fourth year guys in a lot of these cases, or RJ being a fourth year, Mitch being a fifth year. And, you know, IQ and OB being third-year players, like, and they, you know, none of them were, IQ and OB, and even guys like Deuce and uh, and Grimes, right? 
they didn't come into the league super young. They came in after a few years of college. They're not like young, like super young guys. But you like you've got to see what these guys can do when they play big minutes, and not just big minutes, but big minutes where they are kind of controlling the stakes, where the team is succeeding or failing based on their merits, and not just as like, oh, we did it for two games. Like, no, no. I want to see you gotta see this stuff for like two months. You gotta really lean into this stuff and see it. And and I don't think it's impossible to do with this team. You know, like even with Randall here, there's a pathway to getting Obi like 22, 23, 24 minutes a game. There just is. And like IQ, that kid needs to be playing minimum, at absolute minimum, he needs to be playing 25 minutes a night. I don't think he's going to. And and to be fair to Tibbs, that's not entirely on him. I think that's also in the front office because they've allowed this roster, you know, this this positional logjam to some extent to occur. In some ways, probably because Tibbs likes Derrick Rose and they don't want to, you know, take that away from him. But like, you just you're not you're not trying to advance the team effectively. I don't think in this if you go with this approach. But like I just at the end of the day, if you want to give Thibodeau the benefit of the doubt, that's fine. You know that's fine if you want to be like, hey, look, the season hasn't started yet, whatever. But don't don't act like fans are jumping the gun and like they're not even giving him a chance. Like he's been here for two years. Okay, we have a long sample size of what this guy will do and man- how he'll manage a roster and such, right? We we have a sample size of this stuff. It's like fans, ha- like, of course they're going to have opinions. Of course they're going to state them. I'm going to state them. You're going to state them. And at the end of the day, I hope every time I say something bad about Thibodeau or the Knicks that I'm wrong. I want I want to be wrong, okay? And the reason I want to switch gears a little bit now, because I want to say, I do think I would, I have been, I've been really worried about the downside of this year for a variety of reasons, you know, I think I've made it very clear that I am super down on, like, the combination of Thibodeau and Randall returning, uh, about the positional and log jams that exist and all these kind of things. Um, And I've been like, oh, I think the under, I think the under. I think I'm wrong. I think this team's probably going to hit the over. And I just think it's not, it has not, even given all of my reservations with Tibbs and the fact that I really am worried about Julius like I just think they have too many like good rotation players this year and I know we thought that last year but Kemba was a lot worse than we anticipated Nerlens just didn't exist and like and Taj was a Taj is Taj but he definitely wasn't as effective last year as he was the year before Mitch was also like he hadn't worked at all you know what I mean? Like, he hadn't played. So he was definitely working himself back into shape and stuff. That was obviously an issue the first half of the year. I just think, like, most of this stuff... I mean, Brunson's going to be an upgrade on whatever Kemba gave us. I don't think Randall will be as bad as last year. And, I, like, this is so funny because I was... This is kind of what I said at the at the beginning of the offseason, but then you sit there and you fester on, like, the Donovan Mitchell of it all and all these things that you're pissed off didn't happen. But, like, you know, Randall won't be as bad as he was last year, I don't think. Uh, I suspect RJ, IQ, OB, Grimes all make some progression to varying degrees, but I think they'll all be improved. And I think Isaiah Hartenstein's like a clear... I, think, I just think the entire center rotation is going to be way better this year. It's just going to be way better and way more effective. Like, I... And, and we, you know, they're the... 
depth that we have lamented for a variety of reasons, it also helps win a lot of games in the regular season. Because let's say like you're missing two guys, you still have depth. You still can go 9-10 deep. Not every team has that luxury. You know, not every team has the luxury of like, well, if Hartenstein gets hurt, we have a Jericho Simpson step in. And there's no, and the, I guess the upside of no star power, or not a lot of star power, is there really isn't anyone who is like, this person gets hurt and the Knicks are fucked, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the only one you would say that about is probably Brunson. And even that, like, I think I, me... I wouldn't me, even say that about yeah. Brunson because that's where they have the most depth. I'm actually, well, I, think I know you probably don't agree, but I think it probably applies to Mitch a little bit because... Um, there are things he can do that Jericho and Hartenstein can't. can't um, Make TikToks? No, like um, <laughs> drop coverage, for one. Um, I think like, Hartenstein can I mean, do drop go, coverage. Go, go, back, go back and watch probably the most fun Knicks game last year, Knicks Clippers, and see who quickly was just, quickly and Obi and Sims were just abusing. He does like mobility. There's, I, I think this is maybe a separate convo, but uh, I think so a lot you of people hate are like he's the Isaiah t- Hartenstein signing. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that he <laughs> has a very specific role. I think he's going to be like a, a much better version of Kylo Quinn for this team, and I loved Kylo Quinn on this team. Yeah, it's I a did great too. change of pace for Mitch. But um, in terms of defending starting lineups, defending super quick guards and pick and roll. Assuming Mitch is in shape, that's that's something. It's not even about switching. It's just the mobility and all of that. Um, I, I would tend to agree with most of that. Um, I, I mean, I, we've all said, right? Tibbs and Randall, that's a bad combination. Um, so a few things I wanted to say on, on what you said. I think with Alan Hahn, um, I, I do get kind of the position he's in. This is probably why so many people are critical of uh, you know, MSG Networks guys doing the interviews. Um, because Alan Hahn is in a position where he can't just rip Tibbs, right? I actually think he probably does agree on with us on a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, he look, he's he's he did say on whatever his radio show, and he's tweeted like he wanted Grimes to start, and I, so I know he wants Grimes to start. He wants Grimes to start. Yeah. I don't know. He he said he was very much um, in favor of of benching Kemba. Um. I, I thought that a lot of the MSG guys were were uh, trying to kind of boost Kemba or boost. Um, I said Kemba. I meant Elf. Uh, I think everyone was kind of on board with Kemba bench. So I think he's in a position where he kind of has to be that broker a little bit, um, which I'm not going to hate on him for that. Um, I'm not going to hate on him for it, but like also like this. But is... it, it gets annoying when you actually shame, go after the fans for it, right? There's a there's a there's a line to cross, right? Uh, it's the condescension of the appealing to authority, which he's not as bad as it. I'm just, I'm, I don't mean to pick on Han. I think there's a lot of people who do that. Um, I think there's a huge sentiment Did you know of the that Tibbs over- has credentials. Yeah, Tibbs has credentials. <laughs> um, I mean, so do, should, should we never criticize any politician, right? Should we never? But, it's funny but, that never comes up in politics, right? Nobody was saying, well, Obama has a constitutional law degree. I don't think you know what you're talking about. No, everyone's allowed but, to criticize. But Stacey, um, you know, did you have you ever coached? Have yeah, you ever, the, have you played yeah. in the league? Yeah, I coached. Uh, um, <laughs> you've never. Have you? Can you? Uh, can you hit a t- between Hezzy Cross? Actually, probably better than. Can me. you do a lefty layup? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> um, which is funny because I'm fairly certain a lot of the guys who say that are not that good at basketball. I, Manu Ginobili <laughs> could not make a right-handed layup, by the way. So 
I don't care. I mean, if, if you're good enough, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I got the I got the underhand, baby. I'll go under. Um, but you know, I think actually, honestly, more than like Han doesn't bug me. Bagley doesn't bug me. It, it yeah, was... no, and I just want to be very clear. I only brought out the Begley article because it was it, it just it came out like yeah, it was the most it, recent. It speaks piece to a out. lot of. Yeah. I think what <clears throat> frustrates me about a lot of, of of reporters I respect, but it's like I want you to just like the assumption is always it's a trade off between development and winning games. Let's pretend that wasn't true for a second, right? What if the fans who are saying this team is actually better if you give quickly more minutes with the starting lineup? If you played him next to Burks, <clears throat> if Fournier did come off against, what if the team was actually better? And if there are real art, basketball-related arguments, forget even stats, right? <clears throat> Fournier, do you think he's going to be better off guarding uh, James Harden? Or do you think he's going to be better off guarding some shooting guard off the bench? Do you think he's going to have an easier time getting space against bench units? Or James Harden is obviously a bad example, but against you know starting-level defenders. Call Bridges. Do you think the difference between Grimes and Fournier shooting is so large that it warrants the, the playing two bad defenders together in the backcourt? When we saw that, and then people are like, and then the worst argument I hear is, well, the Knicks' problem wasn't defense last year, it was offense. Sure, so does Grimes hurt you that much on offense, A. And B, they came back to 11th largely because Kemba got benched at the end. So if Kemba, if we had continued to play poor, two poor defenders in the backcourt, Burks gave you that, right? Burks helped improve the defense. We don't have that now, so it brings into question again whether Fournier should start. Um, but I think that it was Bondi. Bondi had oh, put out God. a tweet of trying to, you know, discuss Tibbs, and I don't think it got as much engagement because it was fair. So I think he followed it up with a, a tweet that he wanted to needle some Knicks fans. Right? Let's let's be let's lay the cards on the table. Right? This isn't someone who tweets or writes with the most integrity. Right? Um, and he, he said, you know, well, Obi and Obi could, uh, and Grimes could just be a, a case of Knicks overrating young fans like Nilakina again. I don't need to talk about how absurd that statement is, um, for a million reasons. Uh, number one being, uh, both of those, everyone on the Knicks has almost, has shown more than quick, than, than, uh, Nilakina. Um, I would go so far as to say in many ways, Deuce McBride has. And yet... The guys who the Knicks beat, and many others were were talking, or forget the beat, the guys who Frank sat behind, who is still currently in the league? One of them is Trey Burke, who actually was on the same team as Frank last year, didn't get minutes, and Frank played a small, but a, a sure role on, on, a, on a Western Conference Finals team. So the Knicks fans weren't even that off on, on Frank. And, and the second part of that, of course, is we were talking oh, about a 17-win team at that time. Yeah. Uh, or whatever it was. So those, but then the the last part of it that Knicks fans overrate the kids. Well, I think the status the status quo or the, what's the conventional or accepted wisdom is all else equal, the vet must be better. Um, so it's just assuming that if two guys are starting or if two guys are in competition, the vet must be better. That is why, why do, if Knicks if Knicks fans overrated youth, why don't we? criticize the conventional wisdom folks for um or <clears throat> conventional wisdom as dogma right obviously conventional wisdom has its place but conventional wisdom as dogma that the the vet just knows things he he has earned Tibbs' trust um is it it seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy right how do you um you know how can the young players earn Tibbs' trust well they need to be older 
Um, why does Tibbs trust the, the veteran players? They need to be he, they're older, right? Um, he's never going to find out if he can trust them until, unless the entire team gets COVID. Um, and that's so. Why are why is it always that the the fans who often back it up with data or with film who say that you know the young players deserve more minutes? They're just overrating the kids out of bias. But you know, just going with the vet in the face of evidence that's not that's not sign of bias, right? That was what was really infuriating about that, and I think that set a lot of people off. And I think people like Han and Begley, who who try to ground their analysis more empirically, did catch some some crossfire there. Yeah. So the thing with okay, so there's a couple of things that need to be said. The beat, in large part, okay, I'm not going to bother differentiating here because I think the beat, for the most part, every fucking coach we have is painted as a victim of the roster. Not enough talent. Like what a do you, rudderless roster. Yeah, what do you expect? Can't do any better. Like let's let's put all the cards on the table here. All of the same guys that are telling us we're being way too reactionary about tips. Every single one of them until the day David Fizdale got fired, and even yeah. And what happened after Fizdale got fired? Right, victim right. of and, rudderless roster. That was they looked pretty damn good. They were With, seven. They and that was 17. a shitty roster. They that was the seven. best besides besides twenty twenty. That was the best Randall has looked. First of all. Um, Miller just did very simple stuff. Um, he actually starting Alfred Payton and giving Frank a defined role was the right move that year. Uh, I know you, that, that was a funny thing from that Frank tweet. I remember you had a good piece on PNT about how like that was actually really good. And whatever Alf's shortcoming was like that helped put Frank in a good role and help his development. Right. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's like, so these guys will always blame the roster, the front office, whatever. And I get it because the front office doesn't talk to them. The front office basically is not talk to the media. Like, this is the thing. They're trying to make this about Leon. Steve Mills and Scott Perry barely talk to the media. Okay? Phil barely talked to the media after his first year. Before that, it was Steve Mills, who also never talked to the media for an entire year. Uh, and then before that, it was Grunwald, who also didn't talk to the media. And then before that, it was Walsh, who always talked to the media. No, who, you forgot Phil. No, I, I said Phil. Phil oh, yeah. talked to the but like, and guess what? Walsh is the one guy they all loved and fucking made 6,000 excuses for. So let's put the cards on the table here. Why is it that they always defend coaches, even when it's obvious, even when fans are like, this is so obviously terrible. Like, David Fisdale was obviously terrible. And we had to hear how, oh, you can't do any better. Um, like, look, maybe Hornacek wasn't terrible, but guess what? Has he gotten a head coaching job since then? No. Has, David, has Derek Fisher done anything since then as a head coach? He coached the WNBA, pissed off a lot of people from what I read, uh, and he's probably never going to get a head coaching job in the NBA ever again, especially considering some of his behavior that was reported at the time. So, and, and even, and I think it's also like the roster wasn't great with Fisdale. It wasn't a playoff team. But look at some of the guys whose the signings were criticized. Portis that, that, has become a real valuable player in Milwaukee. He, no, he, he, he completely, th that team was a lot better than he made it look like. It destroyed the value of a lot of players on that team, and it probably artificially depressed what our even like us fans who are generally more optimistic than writers and media and analysts will be. Um, I think it even depressed what we thought of that team to the point where, you know, we were like, "Holy shit! I can't believe this team went forty-one, thirty-one, made the playoffs." And like, yeah, some of that was like outlier Julian stuff, but all that some of that was just like Tibbs isn't an idiot and like generally can deploy talent in functional ways. Like Fizdale was like so incompetent at so many elements of his job. It was unbelievable. Anyway, 
So, like, there's that part of it, right, where I'm just like, you guys will always defend a coach, no matter what. The second part of it is, they want, they accept Tibbs's framing of every situation, and never, it feels like, it doesn't feel like they ever genuinely analyze what he's saying, and are critical of it. They just present it exactly how he wants to present it. So, it's, oh, well, Tibbs is trying to win. Okay. Tibbs is trying to win. Can we analyze now these decisions in the mindset of like, is it actually helping us win instead of taking it at face value that what he's doing is all about winning? Okay. Okay. Maybe it is all about winning, but we can analyze whether or not he's making the right decisions to maximize that. And like, sure, if you want to sit there and make some impassioned debate that, you know, starting Elf was awesome because it helped us establish this bench group that was whatever and that helped us win a bunch of games i can at least understand that because ultimately the team was winning throughout the year and then went on a run at the end of the year to kind of push them as high as they went i am not going to accept that for last year's team it's just unacceptable like it was obvious from early in the season that that starting group was all fucked up it was obvious that alec burks was being overplayed it was just a lot of things that it was yeah, I mean, obvious. How many leads can you blow in the third yeah. quarter? And and it was obvious that Julius Randle was not the same player and should not be treated the same or given the same leeway and minutes. It was like these were just obvious things, and he didn't like so. So to me, if you want, like, I can't just accept what the coach says on face on like what he's telling me if I don't look at what the actual facts are, the data, all that shit, and arrive at the same conclusion. And those guys never want to do that part. They never want to do that bit. They never want to. It's just, oh, well, you got to trust him. He's the coach. He's at practice. It's all these bullshit tropes. Like, he's got credentials. You know, he was a two-time coach of the year. Who are you to question him? And it's like, guys, like, George Carl won coach of the year a few times. Is anybody sitting here saying George Carl is beyond reproach? We can't criticize anything he's ever done? No. Although he makes it, uh, I mean, if you think, Tibbs is a prickly personality. Oh, God. He's, well, he's <laughs> I like... Mean, I, I do think George Carl... George Carl is like, probably racist, so... Yeah. He's probably... Yeah, he's probably racist. He just seems to rub everyone the wrong way. Um, I actually do think that guy knew a hell of a lot about basketball. I love those Sonics teams, by the way. Yeah, they were fun. In the 90s. Uh, and I think that that guy fun. probably would have won something if he was just a complete asshole. Yeah, he's a total asshole. Um, but, like, yeah, th- these are the things that bother me when we're talking about Tibbs. But but to go back to the positive side of things, look, whatever I think about Tibbs and I'm worried about his rotations and how he's going to manage this stuff, like, Jalen Brunson is really good. He's a really solid fucking point guard and he's durable and he's not going to regress and turn into a pumpkin like Kemba Walker did, okay? That's a serious upgrade. And, like, yeah, I have reservations about him and Fournier together and sometimes starting backcourt. I don't love that it again, is going to put RJ in a position where he has to expend so much energy on defense trying to cover the best perimeter player on the other team. Um, I'm a little bit worried about, like, how Tibbs will blend these rotations together. We could talk a little bit about that. But, like, fundamentally, I do think that me and other fans um, were, like, so focused on some of the more long view type of decisions and like okay what is the, like there's a difference between i would to optimize the future of this team these are decisions that should be made 
versus I think if you don't fully optimize this team, they're going to be a disaster. And I just don't see that. Like I don't. I think even if Tibbs is making all kinds of decisions that we think are bad for the long-term future of the team, there's just too many solid rotation players of varying degrees, solid starters, solid rotation players, solid bench players, whatever the fuck you want to frame them as. The Knicks have like just too many guys that are like pretty solid NBA players. And if you basically are in a position where you don't have to give minutes to like, you know, replacement level or barely neutral level players, that's going to help you win a lot of games. And the Knicks, look, the Knicks, like you just mentioned earlier, the Knicks blew a shit ton of fucking leads that they probably shouldn't have blown. Um, They had the net rating of a 500 team. They obviously underperformed that. And like, sure, the East got better, but I think the Knicks got really, like... And, I, I and think certain teams got worse, right? Charlotte is probably worse. Charlotte's Chicago worse. Is probably worse, and they they had a worse net rating than the Knicks last year. Um, you know, I, 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 don't, I think that the question I think we would all have... Some of the nerds think that Cleveland got worse, by the way. Well, that's galaxy brain shit. I don't think it is. I actually think it's an interesting... I think it's... It is... I think Mobley's growth alone, what I'm projecting, that alone I, would make the. Better. I just, I think this, this is a scenario. This is obviously look. Donovan Mitchell's seven thousand times better, and Garland seven thousand times better. Like, I think this is a scenario where there might be defensive issues with the pairing that we're underestimating as a regular season, first regular season together, type of thing. Um. But, like, again, like, I'm not worried about them long-term in the slightest. I just think it's I, – I can see why a nerd projection might be a little bit more down on them than my – I mean, I don't even think it's mine or yours. Like, the general consensus, right, is that, like, they're going to be really good. Um, I can see, like – I can see the argument for that, but let's not get too far into that debate right now. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any of any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of JID, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycon's give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. 
It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. I personally just love the, uh, the, the earbud tap functions. Those are really nice. Uh, the awareness mode is also great because as soon as you turn on your little Bluetooth thing on the phone, it automatically locks in. And uh, let me tell you, I go on a run every single day. I can't hear anything uh, when I have these in. So highly recommend, have enjoyed my usage of them. Uh, go to buyraycon.com today and use code TBPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code TBPN15. I actually think Atlanta got better. I know we disagree on that, but I think there's at least two teams ahead of the Knicks that got worse. Um, so I think the nine seed is in play. I think that if they make the nine seed, um, and Tibbs is vet heavy, we're still seeing 18 to 20 minutes for quickly and Obi. But Randall has a bit of a resurgence playing off ball, and they're good enough to make the play in. Um, I think that you'll hear grumbles from a lot of the fan base, but Tibbs, Tibbs is not going to be in danger. Mm-hmm. At that point, I will. That, I think that does come on the front office at that point, right? Because yeah, what do we 100%. do next season? We can't. Can you extend quickly? Well, we don't know. We haven't seen him more than 20 minutes a game. Well, better question Would quickly even want to extend here? Uh, I don't think. I think if. I think if they actually make the playoffs, there is something to the idea that a young player, if you if you tell them you're going to financially take care of them, um, would be willing to go along with that. And I think if they see him playing an important role on a team that makes the playoffs, they'd be willing to do that. But that's a fair concern to bring up. Um, in Obi's case, I think it's even more alarming because he's already 25, right? Or 20, he's 24. He'll be 25 in March. He, that this is going to be this next contract is going to be probably his big one, right? Um, but and you just won't have that data, right? But at that point, if the Knicks do make the play and if they hit the nine seed, um, I will say, you know what, that is on the front office, right? If they really wanted to go that direction, they needed to pick a direction, and the, the Knicks will not have a direction at that point. Um, beyond, you know, let's see if we can pair Brunson and. Randall with a star, which will be very disappointing. But um, you know, but you can't. You probably can't put that on Tibbs completely. No, the Knicks miss the playoffs, right? Um, you don't want to miss the plan entirely. Yeah, if you miss the plan, he's gone. He's gone. Um, I think. Yeah, I think what the the dangerous. I don't even know how to call it a dangerous. I think there's a lot of fans that'd be happy with the Knicks getting the nine or ten seed. There are some. I think a, a a lot of fans are saying, well, it's possible we get the six. Anything can happen, right? I'm not buying that. And if, if they do, I don't think they're anything. I don't think they're winning more than a game in the first round. It's, it's probably a poor man's version of that 2020 season. But I think the question is, what happens? Um, there's two questions, right? If they do get the nine seed, were they capable of more by playing the young guys more? I think that's going to be an angsty debate. And then the other one is going to be, what do they do with them at the end of next year? Because their trade value isn't going to be high enough, um, especially a year closer to their, their rookie contracting up, to get a star. And um, you probably don't have enough certainty for them where you can give them a big contract. And um, and you, But are you going to build around Randall and, and Brunson? 
Um, and yeah, you do have RJ. So is Randall Brunson RJ your core? If you're going to say, yeah, we have to trade Obi and quickly, we'll bring in some vets, um, which would probably be Tibbs. Like, what is the direction? They still don't have a direction. And at that point, considering the depreciation of these assets, um, that would be a concern. Um, so it's tough. And uh, for that, the, the, the front office does deserve heat. You know, you can say that we wanted to keep vets. We shouldn't be precluded from signing valuable players just because the coach won't play them. Agreed. But then why are you keeping the coach? And um, you can also say, you know, we shouldn't have to get rid of young players just because our coach doesn't want to play them. But then, um, you know, what, what are you doing with that? Right. So. That's what's what's interesting to me is what's going to happen next year if we get the nine seed, you know, maybe we win, maybe we upset a team like Atlanta or something, lose in the first round, um, and then don't know what to do with the rookies. Um, I mean, there will be more minutes for quickly next year because Fournier would presumably be gone. Um, well, Fournier still has another year in his contract after this is guaranteed, so you'd still have to find a way to move him. Yeah, but it'll be expiring, right? So you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I agree. I'm just saying, like. It's not. Like, it's not a given. Yeah, I mean, if he like Fournier could have a good year, like he could have a really good year, and if he has a really good year and he's a starting two guard for a team that let's let's say they get the seven seed, and let's say they finish as a seven seed and they lose in six games or something to fucking I don't know Miami, Miami or something, or something. first round. Let's say it's like a they have a Pelicans like six you know six game first round loss that's. It's actually the greatest fucking loss in the history of all losses. Um, <laughs> if, if if that's the case, like, are we sure the front office is going to be like, all right, we're still going to move Fournier? I'm not. Because they've yeah. shown. But I'm, I'm not even, but even that would be, yeah, and that's the thing. Can, they might get a, but I think that they might be because they were willing to move Reggie, right? They, they, they moved on from but they Reggie. Upgraded on, they upgraded Reggie. That's different. So if yeah. you told me, if you told me that they were like, like, this is what we don't know. Do we know that they would be willing to bet on an internal upgrade? And by that, I mean, yeah, by by that, I would mean, okay, Grimes was the backup all of the season. He played 22 minutes a game or something. He was really good. And now we are betting on him to start next year. We're going to trade for him. I don't know if they would do that because they have not done it yet. They have never done it. Uh, so we just don't know. Yeah, like, but I would I like to believe that. But Grimes I was. I think the untouchable reporting was a little bit. Yeah, it was wrong. Um, it was wrong. But I do think they value him highly. Um, I I don't think Fournier is going to start. Um, I think it's a question of if or when. I also am not as high on him being the player that you were talking about. Um, I think guys like there are there are guys who are just better at that. Guys like. Uh, well, Gary Trent Jr. is really good, but guys that mold who I think are just going to be valued higher than than Fournier, um, and teams are just gonna, not going to be wanting to use a ton of cap space on him if he's not an expiring. Certainly not give up an asset for him, but I do think Grimes relegates him to a bench role. But here, so my predicted outcome for this team is the ninth seed. Um, I think they end up losing to um, who? Uh, I guess if I'm playing this out. I think it would be Atlanta. Um, I trust that team more in the playoffs right now than the Knicks. Um, so I think if they lose to Atlanta in the play-in, um, and, and Atlanta and then, let's say, Toronto, or whoever ends up being the seventh seed, um, but they, they make the play-in, and the young players have gotten, you know, let's say, around 20 minutes. So young players, I mean, quickly and OB. Maybe Grimes has a larger role. 
where would you be at on this front office and Tibbs if that's how the season plays out? But it's it's basically that the IQ OB Grimes are still not getting like any major minutes increase. Yeah, just twenty. I mean, even twenty might be. Let's bullish, but let's just let's, so let's just say twenty for whatever. Twenty for OB and IQ, and then I do think Grimes is going to start. So let's say twenty five for Grimes. Uh, I mean, if Grimes actually starts, and that all happens, I mean, I would probably not. I would put it this way: I would probably still be okay moving on from Tibbs and or the front office in that scenario. But I am almost positive that would not happen. Um, yeah, but the question is, like, where would what what do they do at that point? What do you think happens then? To just well, quickly th- demand out? Do you think they want to trade quickly at that point? Because I don't think they want to trade quickly. I don't think they want to trade any of these guys. That's the problem. Like at some point, you got to make some hard decisions, and it doesn't feel like I like. Do I think they want to trade Julius Randle? Yeah, I do. Do I think that they'd be willing to take a negative return or even a neutral return, just get off the money type of return? No, I don't think they would. And that at some point that is a. Do you think Tibbs wants them to trade Randle? Uh, I think Tibbs is probably a little bit more ambivalent about it than than he cares one way or the other. Like, I think I think if Tibbs cares about it, it's because he just wants to know what the fuck the roster is going into opening day. Like, I don't think he cares as far as like, oh my god, I gotta have my guy Julius or something. But I think he cares in terms of like, okay, if I'm not gonna have Julius, I would like to know that now. And if I am gonna have Julius, I would like to know that now. That's what I think his concern is. I don't think he cares that much about. I don't think he cares that much about any of these guys individually like that. Um, like I think Rose. Yeah, besides Rose, and you know, like that's its own thing. But um, yeah, I, I don't think he cares that much about that. Like I just, th- this is why it's so hard to discuss this team. It's kind of like, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the Mitchell trade, where it's like the Knicks had so many potential variations of a trade offer that like it complicates it in a way, right? Whereas, like, Cleveland had, like, this is our one offer that we can make, right? And, like, that's it. Like, we can't do much better than this. We can barely do any better than this. And this is the structure that works, and okay. Right? Whereas the Knicks, it was like, you can haggle over so many pieces of that, it complicates it. But I think that is also the reason why discussing this team, like, what is optimal? Like, all right, so if I'm going to be realistic, right, let's... Let's try to be realistic about like what can we expect from this team, uh, like like realistically, what is the best we can hope for as fans? All right, how about that? So this is what I would say. I would say you have a starting group of Jalen, of so Brunson, Grimes, RJ, uh, Randall, Mitch. Is that my starting five? Probably not in an ideal world, but that's the best one that we can hope for. I, I really like. I really think, like realistically, that's the best we can hope for. Okay. You said um, Brunson, Brunson Grimes. Grimes, R.J. Randall, Mitch. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would seriously consider maybe putting Hartenstein in that group, not because I think he's better than Mitch, but because I think he could help ease some of the. Um, the offensive clunkiness of that group, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. So, whatever. Uh, And then I think it is Rose quickly 
reddish OB Parnstein. Like, I, I think, 40, think... But 40 is not going to be situational. Okay, but, here, but, but here's my thing. I... If Cam is good in camp, which he hasn't proven yet, so this is a total, like, you know, we unknown thing. If Cam is good in training camp, and let's say he outplays Fournier in camp and preseason, whatever, and let's say Grimes does also, like, that actually shouldn't be a thing that we can't realistically expect. Because I think Fournier is good, but he's also, to me, like, not so good that it's like, oh my god, his he athleticism has is diminished. I think the player yeah. in Orlando was a lot better. Um, but sure. he is a massive liability on defense, and now it's really just shooting on offense. Can he make plays? Is he an intelligent passer? Yes. Uh, and he's he's a great depth piece. Yeah, but um, he can't he can't create any advantages anymore. He has to like capitalize on ones created for him effectively. Yeah, and like within it's also not even like off of those advantages within the paint he can do that much. He has a little fadeaway floater. He's got some nice touch. Um, his interior scoring probably is still better than Grimes at this point. Um, I, I'm not willing to just say Grimes has improved as an interior scorer just because of Summer League. Come on, bro. Summer uh, League? <laughs> uh, although there were, I mean, he did you, He did all the things you'd want to see him do to make that happen. It's just you guys see it in the regular season, right? Yeah. Um, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it should... Like that but it, piece yeah, shouldn't be true, unrealistic. But that was true last year. Evan could shoot, but Grimes was on fire. And but for we a coach know, who likes, but we defense, know, we know that, we know that Tibbs in season, like the reason Rose, like the Rose trade was so great for us and him, was that like he knows how to use Derrick Rose, right? Like he's there's no adjustment to be made. He already knows Derrick Rose. He understands everything about him as a player, what he provides, all that shit. But we also, like, I don't think Cam is entirely different from him. We know that Tibbs hates making in-season adjustments. So I actually, like, I I'm, I disagree with Tibbs, but I realistically understand and can, like, not even understand, but I can realistically expect him to not play Cam in that situation. Not at the expense of anybody. But he has Cam now. He's familiar with Cam. He has seen Cam up close. He's seen him in practice last year, training camp, preseason, whatever. At that point, I really don't think it should be an unrealistic expectation. Now, it might in actuality be unrealistic because Tibbs is that stubborn. But as fans, I don't think it's wrong for us to have the expectation or that we should be at least, we should at least feel that it's realistic to um, that that could happen. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it will or won't, but like, like to me, there's a difference between being like start Obi over Randall versus like Cam wins the job out over Fournier. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think the latter should actually be unrealistic, and I don't think the former should be either. But I know the former is right. Like, I know that is, but I don't think. If it is that set in stone, that's a fuck up on Tibbs' part. But as fans, we should have the right to at least believe that that is not so ridiculous. That Cam's can overtake Fournier and Grimes. Yeah, Grimes and yeah. Fournier and Evan, uh, Grimes and Cam can both overtake. Yeah, because Fournier. Fournier, like, is he's he's solid, but he's solid in a way that I don't feel like. Oh my god, he has to play right. 
Um, and we know, like, I actually would say the same about Rose, but again, like, we know with this coach that it is totally unrealistic to. And I think Rose is better than that when healthy. So yeah, I agree. Although I will say this, um, interestingly enough, there was someone talking about how Rose is way more efficient than quickly. They finished last season with the same true shooting percentage, and even the year before, um, yeah, it wasn't. Much Rose was like fifty six. So, which is surprising. I thought it would be much higher because of his, um, you know, ability to attack the rim, uh, and the fact that he's an efficient three point shooter. Um, but he takes so many of those mid range attempts, and he doesn't actually shoot that well on them. Um, he doesn't shoot so, that well at the rim either. Yeah, that, that's been a thing since I think that there was a good article yeah. on PNT when the first time we got him about how um, his um, his rim efficiency from his peak, uh, he you know went down and he, he stopped getting to the line as much. Um, I even think even at his injury. peak, even at his peak, he was never like one of the great efficient rim finishers. Yeah, because he took so many difficult ones, and I think yeah. especially I think he took even more difficult ones after his injury. So that's not to say Rose can't do things that quickly can, but the idea that he's like, you know, there's a lot of things quickly does better and efficiency is there. It's at least on par. And, um, but, um, but I, I do think Rose moves the needle more than Fournier. And I think that he is probably, it's still a better point of attack defender than Brunson. Um, but, um, but I, yeah, at this point, I just don't see Fournier moving the needle. And if Cam really loses you, like, I don't see Grimes losing you games. Um, as the as the shooting guard in that lineup, right? Because first of all, he's going the shooting guard in that lineup is going to be the fourth option. Um, so it's not like Fournier is going to be. If we are running a ton of offense through Evan Fournier in that lineup, that's a problem. Um, he actually has a chance to be a, more of a piece on the bench, actually, um, because you know Rose and Quickly are going to dominate the ball, but Obi isn't really you know going to do the same, going to dominate it as much as Julius. And uh, and that's a lineup where the ball is just going to move around more, right? Um, not to criticize the starting lineup, but you just you know Brunson and, and RJ are ISO heavy players as is Randall. RJ is less ISO heavy, but he's going to have the ball in his hands, right? Um, but I think that so I I don't get the Fournier that were Grimes thing at all. I can see it because as much as I think Reddish actually played quite well on the Knicks last year, he finished. Um, he finished with 57 true shooting despite you know not being able to hit his threes. If he can't hit his threes, um, you know on defense for whatever reason his on off just wasn't great last year, right? Um, I think some of it you can see in the film. You know he has moments of greatness off ball, and he has a lot of moments where he either loses track of his man, or um, you know weirdly just doesn't get a, takes a bad angle around a screen. Uh, I think more of that has to do with just a lack of reps because of his injuries. So there's no question that he can make a leap. But if he's still that player, I could get Fournier still being the better option. Um, but um, but I think your argument definitely applies to like I just don't. There's no way it, it just doesn't seem unless Grimes really is like not that great a shooter in practice. And we've seen the free throw woes, right? So if Grimes is really like a 35% three-point shooter, I kind of get it at that point. But there's a ton of evidence to indicate that's not the case. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, if Cam gives them length and some isolation scoring on that second unit where, you know, um, where they, I mean, quickly is still a guy who works best with a screen, right? Um, Obi can't create for himself that much. Rose is probably not going to be healthy. Um, especially games where Rose isn't healthy, like, Reddish giving them that that guy who can just get you a bucket, um, who can really attack the rim and put pressure on it in a way that the other guys can't. 
um, you'd have to start asking yourself. And I don't know that Tibbs has the flexibility to make that kind of switch at this point. So we'll have to see. But I, to your to your earlier point, I think that definitely applies to Grimes being able to play over Fournier. Um, I do have to see more from Cam, although my take is I think I'd rather just give him a chance. But I think if the argument is Cam has a higher upside and we should just give him a chance, I still think that's more of a front office issue than a Tibbs issue because um, you have to make his job easier a little bit at that point. Yeah. Um, I just, the Reddish stuff, I really, look, I I think the fu- the funniest outcome, isn't the funniest outcome of like, for, like if 48 starts and then Reddish just absolutely kills it in preseason while Grimes is out and like Grimes is the guy that has to just eat it. It's just sorry, bud. Uh, you gotta wait another year. <laughs> I mean, uh, I would not think. I would think that I would still ask why he has to come off the bench for Fournier, but um, you know, it would not like at least he does have two more years on his contract. So yeah, I mean, I just the reddish piece is just like I'm like, man, I, I just I want him to work out because man, that type of wing is like we've talked about this so many times before, but like. If he is just good, not forget great, forget amazing, just good, solid, whatever, that is a player that just adds so many fucking dimensions to what you can do with your lineups. You know, um, like Tibbs would never do this because he's such a stickler for rim protection. But like, and I'm not, I don't even know if this would work. I just would like to see a Cam, Obi, Randall. I would like just like to see that. I would like to see what it looks like because that team is actually not small. You know what I mean? Like, that's a that's three, six, it's eight a raptorish type of lineup. Yeah, like it's just not small, and so like I would like to see that uh, at some point. But I, look, I'm not. I I want to make this very clear. I'm trying very hard to just like not instinctively shit on anything Tibbs will not do right now. I'm trying very hard for my mental health to uh to to stay open minded. But like, I just I don't know, man. I, I just with Cam like. You want, and look, he, he's been in, this is his fourth year in the league. He obviously had his year at Duke. Like, it's been four years now since, like, that's, it's all potential still, right? You're all, you're still just like potential upside, physical tools. And I know he's had a lot of injuries and that's been part of it. And, you know, I think he's probably had to adjust maybe some expectations he had for himself. Um, but, like, he's just got to take it, you know? Like, this is... Look, Grimes being injured, doesn't matter how it happens, it just happened, right? Like, Grimes being injured is the difference. Like, it, or sorry, it, it is the opening for him. So, it's just a matter of, like, capitalize on your opportunity, man. Like, you've got a shot here, you know? Um, and whether it's temporary or it is actual we'll see but like i don't know I, I just it feels like a pretty big moment for him and i hope he capitalized on it because man if a guy like him capital like if he hits that again it just adds so much value to what you can do with different lineups and stuff like that uh but it's all on him at this point like you know like tibbs it's not on tibbs to make him play well it's on him to make us want Tibbs to see that he's playing well, right? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm actually like he is definitely the guy that I'm most interested to see in preseason. 
uh, from the very like limited video I've seen of him this offseason and his press conference, he looked like he added a little bit of muscle. So I, I'm curious. He's pretty strong to begin with. I think yeah. um, I was talking with uh, Omar from the Discord about this, and um, I mean Omar's standards for being stronger, like looking like um, yeah, like Lawrence Taylor, Lawrence Taylor was like <laughs> Lawrence. Yeah, Lawrence Taylor was like using pretty good shape. <laughs> um, but um, I think Cam's actually pretty strong, right? I um, and I think as much as like I think I'd like to see him bo- play a little more bully ball at the rim. He started to do that. And some of his more acrobatic finishes are like he takes contact, just kind of hangs in the air, and then um, that like it takes a lot of strength. So I, I think that he already had that. Anything else he gets from there is good, uh, and it, it helps because he's never been a guy who um, relies on. He's he's more smooth than he is explosive, right? Um, so I, I don't think you mind kind of adding weight. Um, I think the most like he has to be able to knock down a three consistently. The form has never been the question. I think it was more of a question of getting into rhythm, but. Um, you know, he hasn't put together a whole season of shooting the ball at high level, but if he shows that, if he shows that he can generally be in the right place on defense and, you know, once in a while, more than once in a while, hopefully, but we'll see how much Tibbs lets him do it. Um, you know, I think the most exciting thing from Cam last year was, you know, he would get switched onto a guard in the perimeter and he just seemed to just envelope them, right? His just, it was like, um, you know, it's watching like a, 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 a small receiver going against Richard Sherman or some like big dude in press coverage and just getting fucking manhandled. Um, and you know, his arms are so long. He has pretty good instincts in one-on-one defense. He gets to do those things for some turnovers. Um, I think when he freelances at times, he can really be effective in passing lanes. Um, there's a lot there if he can just put it together. But I think the most important thing to me is it's going to be tough to keep him off the floor if he's hitting threes 40%. Um, and it's going to be tough to keep him off the floor if he can do that, as well as just generally be in the right place on defense. Like that—that's the biggest thing for him. It's like I, I mean, I've—I haven't crunched his data like that much, but just from having watched him and the shit I've read, like it feels like most of his minus, like what is making him a negative player, is just defensive awareness, aptitude, whatever you want to call it. Um, if he can just. Like there's like this is what I this is what I hear. I, I'm going to say something very nice about Tibbs. If you have the physical capabilities and you buy into what he's trying, what the defensive scheme is, and what you're being asked to do, you will be an effective defense. If he has guys that are physically able, that are bought into what he wants them to do, you can be, you will be an effect. Not even you will be an effective defense. That's what I will say about Tibbs. Um, like, you don't need a bunch of elite defenders for him to create an elite defense. Now, are there limitations to his kind of like steadfast, you know, dogmatic, single-mindedness about executing this defensive scheme and never deviating deviating from it, regardless of who you're playing against? Sure, but over the aggregate of an NBA season, you will be a top five, top six, something like that. You will be a, a, a very elite defense if you have the physical capabilities and you buy in. And Cam Reddish certainly has the physical capabilities. And I so, think he bought in. I think he just... Uh, yeah. I think so it's, it's, more, it's about buying in, and then it's about... He, just, he does not... I mean, injuries did play a big part. Yeah, uh, of I think, course. I'm just saying he's he has got to buy in, and then he's got to execute 
exactly what's being asked of him. And he's also just generally got to get better at getting over screens. Like, he, he needs to get better at that. I don't know what that's all about. But, um, look, those are things that, that's a technique thing that can be improved. Obviously, defensive aptitude awareness, that is something that improves for a number of players as they get older. As they get reps, uh, right? And I think yeah. that's really, again, I'll, he's really, that's been the biggest thing that's hurt his career um, more than anything else. I didn't watch him too much in Atlanta. So people, people have been on this thing about, you know, this is a guy who feels like he needs to be the guy. He wants to be the guy with the ball in his hands. I don't think he did much of that at all in New York. Um, I thought he, you know, like any, like, yeah, like I think I was talking with, with Jeff about Jeff Rasmussen about this and he was saying, yeah, but there are sometimes he took like some, you know, pull up threes off the dribble and all of that. Every time I remember seeing him do that on the Knicks, it was almost always a late shot clock situation. It's also like, yeah, he's going to take a stupid shot. Like, everybody takes a stupid shot every now and then. Yeah, and you want him yeah. to have that, and especially late shot clock when the Knicks don't really have a lot of guys who can do that. I mean, they have Brunson now, but um, before it was obviously Randall, um, or quickly, or, you know, RJ is not really that comfortable with pull-ups, so it was him either having to go to the rim and, and hope that he can beat the guy because they know what's coming, um, or quickly taking a step back. Or Randall doing Randall things. So, you know, obviously adding Brunson helps, but, you know, from a wing, having a guy that could... You saw how much that helped the Warriors with Wiggins, right? The Warriors have no shortage of shot creators, but Wiggins being able to do that, right? Whether it's bully ball, whether it's being able to, you know, use his lens to shoot over someone, that matters a lot. So, um, but I, I, I think that with Reddish, the narrative has been he thinks he's a lot better than he is. If he can just buy into being a role player... Um, or buy into being Andrew Wiggins, he'll be better. And I don't think that was his issue, at least from what I saw in New York. And I think from a lot of what I've seen a lot of Hawks fans say, it's just he's been hurt a lot. That's probably the biggest issue. And he's been buried behind um, wings who probably came out of college a little bit more polished than him. And then that advantage amplified because he did get hurt, right? And because he did miss those reps. And a lot of the things we just talked about, um, technique, um, being able to, you know, the awareness and, and you know, rotations. There's very there's, you can't substitute for reps in those situations, right? So, um, so it'll be fascinating to see, and and that'll be where if we see a lot of the the talent in preseason, but we I, I suspect we'll still see some of those mistakes because again, I don't think there's a substitute for reps, and he's gonna need he's gonna need a team to give him his minutes and learn through that. And Tibbs doesn't seem like that guy. Um, it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see if there is more heat, if, if Cam is putting up some really interesting scoring numbers, making some plays on defense, but having a lot of lapses. And, you know, I think at that point, there is a fair argument to be made that, you know, if, if he's giving you so much on offense, Fournier gives you shooting as well, but it's not like Fournier is, Fournier knows how to be in the right place, but it's still, he can get picked on on defense. So is it better to, to stick with Fournier or, or to start to give Cam those reps where, there's probably more upside and, and more belief that he can improve, right? So, yeah, um, it's look, look. We'll just see. We'll have to see. Um, I'm I'm very excited to see him. I'm also really excited to see Brunson, man. Um, he is definitely the most well-rounded starting point guard the Knicks have had in a long ass time. Uh, since Marbury, right? At least. Yeah, and I was never. I was not a big Marbury guy. Um, yeah, but he's I mean, definitely a more stable like personality. Uh, but yeah, like he's. I mean, Marbury's probably the Knicks' most talented point guard in the last a long time. Let's put it like that. Yeah. I don't want to say the name that comes to mind, but I, in terms of pure talent, 
there really isn't anyone who comes close. Um, Strickland, maybe, but yeah, um, Strickland, Strickland does come close, but um, overall, I'd still probably say talent-wise, Steph's probably the best point guard since Clyde. Um, for the Knicks, no, Derek Harper was better. Strickland, Mark Jackson on the Knicks. Derek Harper was definitely bad. I know. I'm never going to. Mar- Marbury, yeah, 20 and 8, fucking fantastic. We won like seven games. No. Derek Harper was better. Derek Harper would have won finals MVP in 94. It's a Knicks fucking. What are we going to rehash the series? They win that series. Derek Harper's probably the finals MVP. He was better than Marbury. I don't care. I'm not. I'm never going to agree on this point. Um, it doesn't really matter. The Knicks have not had. They have not been blessed with great point guard play. Jalen Brunson is the best point guard they've had in a long time. I mean, in general, this is the best. This entire roster, this is the most talented team. This is the most complete team we have had since 2012-13. I don't even think it's close. I think this team is clearly the best in terms of talent, in terms of depth, in terms of upside. Um, Yeah, I, I just... Yeah, I mean... It's... it. It it is, he is the prop. I think he's probably the best player this year on the team, um, and I'm just excited to see him because he's like a good pull up mid range shooter. We haven't had that in a long time. Not at you know not Derrick Rose can give that at times, but obviously not as a start starting player. Um, he's it'll be fun, man. Uh, I I think he's going to be fun to watch. Like I'm just trying very hard. Because I know that Tibbs is going to do shit that I disagree with, but like, I still there are just a lot of things about this team that I am excited to see. And Brunson, uh, and I want to see. I really am excited to see if Brunson can actually make the game, you know, easier for RJ and Julius and um, friend of the pod uh, Ariel Pacheco. He he tweeted out a couple of uh, interesting kind of sets that. Brunson was used in in Dallas last year as a screener, uh, and I'm just I'm interested to see if that's something that we know that Tibbs hasn't been the most creative offensive line, but if that's something that he can incorporate uh, and put into the next playbook, that'd be really interesting as well. And I think it could help RJ and Julius also. Yeah, I mean Brunson is just a, he is a complete player in a way that the Knicks just haven't had. Um, he can play on and off ball, right? So they've gotten some star guys, but. They struggle with that. Um, I think this can be overstated about some players, but in Brunson's case, I do think it matters that the guy just has won everywhere he's gone. Um, you know that Villanova program has run really well. Spent three years there. Um, Dallas has a lot of issues as an organization, but played for Carlisle. Um, you know he he is he is a serious guy, right? Um, you know, we'll see if he's going to get scrutiny. He is the number one guy. Every time he has a bad shooting night, there's going to be, or anytime, you know, he faces John, you know, struggles to stay in front of him, there's going to be talk of that. And, and that comes with the territory. Um, you know, um, it's something that it feels like Julius has, has struggled with a little bit. Mello, um, Mello's talent, I think, won out for the most part, but he struggled obviously with that. Um, but Brunson, if anyone, was going to be able to handle it. He seems like that kind of guy, but it's also just, he's an exciting player. Um, like I think people still don't appreciate the skill 
Um, you know, people think of him as, oh, he just played off Luca. Um, you know, there's, there, like, he's kind of a boring guy. He's not super s- s- explosive. He, his handles are like, that is, he, he reminds you of a New York point guard, right? The crazy ball handling, the footwork, um, the creativity, particularly the paint. I think um, it might not happen on a Tibbs team, but I think especially if he plays with guys like Quickly and Obi, um, you're going to see a lot more passing from him. Uh, or a lot, I should say a lot more um, a lot more of the wow passing. He's mostly just been a really efficient passer in Dallas. But Dallas did like to play kind of that spread pick and roll game. But there wasn't a whole lot of, um, you know, you're not, you, you did, you, did you just, it, it suited just, you know, what he gave you, which is a three to one assist to turnover ratio and ability to um, score any time he has the ball in five out. Um, and, you know, there probably are ways in which he's going to struggle a little bit, but I can't see them. <laughs> um, you know, there might be games. I'm curious to see if he can up the pull up three point shooting to really reach the next level. Um, I do wonder if he'll struggle a bit with playing with Mitch and Randall at the same time. Um, you know, if it's going to crowd the paint, uh, and we've seen that happen with with players the Knicks have signed, where they come here and and because of a less than ideal fit, so that would be like my only concern with Brunson. And and you know, he'd probably still find a way to score, but it'll hurt his efficiency. Um, so I am curious if they use him with Hartenstein more to kind of allow him to play five out a little bit. Um, I do think Randall will buy in and be willing to play off him. Um, he's at least said the right things. Um, but it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I will say this, you know, um, KOT said this, um, uh, you know, earlier today and, um, you know, the Knicks have talked again for the second straight year about wanting to play faster. Now people forget like the Knicks started four and one last year and they really did play that way a lot and I think that the defense suffered because they were playing Walker and Fournier together and Tibbs was just like alright that's it shut it all down right um, but they're once again talking about playing faster I do think the front office wants to play that way but the only team do you know the only team that was slower than the Knicks last year I do Dallas yeah um, whereas I think Brunson especially in the playoffs when he was pushing the pace he does feel more comfortable taking those pull up threes in transition I think do you think we see an? Do you think we see the Knicks play faster? Or do you think that ends up just ending up like last year? I don't buy it. I just don't. Like I, this is the other thing. Like I don't want to. I'm not going to do the Tibbs thing. His teams have not played fast in his career. I believe he's had one above average, so top fifteen pace team. In his that was probably time. with Derek Rose at point guard. No, it was with. Oh. It was this third year in Minnesota, the last year before they kind of. Uh, Fell Before apart. they fired him, um, was Jimmy that team played team? fast? That was no Jimmy got traded that year, six games into the year, uh, but they were like twelfth in pace or something like that. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, he just he, I I could be wrong on the specifics, but he's not coached to have a fast team throughout his career. One of the things I will consistently reject is that the reason we didn't play fast is because we didn't have a point guard. I don't think there's any proof that there's correlation between having a true point guard and playing fast. Um, in fact, a lot of teams with true point guards don't play fast. Phoenix, uh, I mean, Chris Paul throughout his career has played on teams that do not play fast. Um, that's like a thing, you know? Um, there are, there are a lot of teams like this. So uh, I, the Knicks did not, 
They didn't play fast last year because Tibbs didn't want to play fast. That's the reality. So, will we do it this year? Uh, I got to say, like, I don't really care. Um, to me, it's not about how many possessions you're getting. It's about how you're working those possessions. You can be an efficient offense um, without playing super fast. I mean, Dallas being a, clearly was, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's about, I, to me, it's much more important to get into your sets quickly than it is to get shots up quickly. Um, they didn't do either of those things. Right, um, I right. think some of that was because, and I'm not trying to rip Alec Burks, but that was something when T, like, he is, he is a good ball handler to get his own shot, but struggles, I think, with ball pressure from, like, um, you know, the Jose Alvarados of the world. Um, so they did struggle with that. Um, I will push back a little bit and say that that makes sense. And Dallas was slow and at an elite offense. They also went five out. Um, they also have um, one of the most gifted shot creators in, in the league. Um, and they actually had two. Right? They had one of those guys on the team now. But the Knicks, um, the Knicks have guys like Randall and Barrett who are probably a lot better in transition than they are in the half court. Um, certainly Randall is. Uh, we'll see what Barrett has added to his game, but I do like Barrett with a head full of steam against a scrambling defense more than I like him trying to create against a set one. And you say that about everyone, but you can. there are guys who are just able to thrive in the half court. Brunson is one of them. So given that, don't you think it behooves the Knicks to try to play faster? Yes. Um, I think the Knicks should play faster. I think it would benefit guys like R.J. Barrett, who was fifth in total transition points in the league last year, according to our good friend Drew Steele, a.k.a. Doug. Um, Obi's obviously a transition monster. I think Quickly's really good at making hit-ahead passes in transition. I don't know if he's a great transition player himself, but he is good at making those passes. Uh, I think Cam probably benefits from playing in transition. I think Grimes probably play, benefits from playing in transition. I think a lot of guys would benefit from it. I, mean, uh, I think the bench got that because a guy like Gobi gets incessantly criticized. He can't create his own shot, but he gets that. So he tries to, to do all his work before he gets the ball, right? Quickly also seems to get that that ha- that that bench unit didn't really have a great half court creator, um, so he would try to get them in transition, right? Or, or you know, if he had a good look early in the shot clock from three, he was willing to take it. Um, and it seemed like for a stretch of time, Julius Randle got that right, um, where you know he his best talents in terms of speed, size, and finishing ability combo, he can't really use them in transition. Uh, he can't really use them in the half court. Because they do go, you know, uh, they do play with with a paint bound big. And by the way, Hardenstein's not going to solve that. He shot on a limited sample, a high percentage from three. I'm not like I got to see it before I believe they're actually going to use him a ton in five out, or, or really he's going to get that gravity. But they're going to the reality, and he he you don't want him just to be a stretch five. He's got a really nice interior game. So there, the reality is there are there is going to be a paint bound center for this team most of the time. Um, and they are not overflowing besides Brunson with guys who can just still create good looks at the rim in spite of that. So, yeah, like, I think that they, they need to play faster, and it's puzzling to me that they've emphasized it. Like, it was the top of the, the eight things that they prioritized. Principles. Both for the last <laughs> two years. And, and But I saw them do it, and, you know, they lost to Orlando, but we were still pretty excited about what that team could be. I think the issues were Kemba's not making up for his defensive shortcomings on 
on offense and you know Fournier was exacerbating things but it'd be encouraging if they were willing to do that and I think that's the best way you know, to get you know what it Randall is rehabilitated you know? it's it's like when you have one of these NFL coaches who likes to play doesn't want to spread it out and throw the ball you know 40 50 times a game or something wants to establish the line of scrimmage you know all that stuff and like that that's not inherently bad you know look I, I am a Bills fan uh, I would actually love if they could run the ball, uh, but they can't run the ball right now. So, like, that's its own thing. But, like, it's not bad to want they to need be Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. Man. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's what they need. Um, you need, like, being... So, like, it, to me, it's not about... Does Tibbs want to play fast? Probably. I don't deny... I don't... I that That doesn't sound completely beyond the pale. But I think... When, as soon as something goes in a fashion, like, he wants to control everything he can. That is that is the inherent quality of Tibbs as a coach, is that he wants to control everything that can be controlled. And pace is a thing that you can control. And one of the risks you take when you increase the pace is defensive organization, potentially. Now, there are teams that have done this very well, most famously Golden State, who play super, or they, at least initially, when Kerr got there, they played super fast, but they were still a great defense. Well, I mean, every good team plays faster than the Knicks and did not end yeah. up probably good on defense. So. Right. So it's, I just think that as soon as there's a bad stretch, Tibbs's nature is to, is to, um, rein everything you know, it, in. Yeah, to rein everything in. And it's just, I, I don't know. I, I just think that's inherently what will happen again. And maybe this team is so good that he just has to do it anyway. But um, the main issue for me is that, like, it's it's not so much... Again, it's it's like the end of games. We see this at the end of every single game for like two years. He is calling out a set play each time. And it's like, you can't... If you want to play fast, it, it has to apply throughout games. It can't just stop because it's the fourth quarter. It, it has to be throughout a game. I'm, and look, I get the game slows down to the fourth. This is literally an observable fact. If you go to NBA.com slash, NBA.com slash stats, and you and you look at the pace data by quarter. Like this is not just a Knicks thing. Every team plays slower in the, in the fourth, but the Knicks slow down to like a glacial pace that would that would not be out of place in the fucking nineties. Like that, you can't play that slow. You can't. I'm sorry. Like even yes, Brunson will help. Brunson gives you a better half court score than you had. But like <laughs> Jalen Brunson isn't fucking Michael Jordan, man. Like you can't do that. You can't put that on him like that. So it it has got to be a real evolution from Tibbs. And it's like it's like that that's the stuff where if you're expecting that, like you're just gonna be disappointed. It's it's never gonna happen like that. Like the things that I think are much more reasonable for him to do is just like, can you just be better at picking the right players to play minutes and certain lineups and stuff like that? Like I feel like this isn't that shouldn't be as hard as you're making it seem. Uh, but like, I, I don't expect massive changes in terms of our pace or, or, you know, the kind of like segmented 
style of our offense where it doesn't feel like a five-man flowing action. It's very much like segmented two-man actions. Yeah, um, I, I don't think that's going to change much. Um, I think that's why they got Brunson, is to have him be that guy. Um, probably run a lot of two-man with Randall, um, with Barrett and Fournier, or potentially Grimes on the, on the weak side. Um, I do. I did think it was interesting, you know, he had the quote about using Randall the five, which um, I my interpretation was more about um, you know, letting him be the role man as opposed to, you know, uh, spotting up or whatever, or using him in DHOs. I think that could be fun. I'm curious what happens with Mitch. Um, is this the year we finally see the Mitch jumper? Um, I, I probably wouldn't hold my breath on that. Um, but you know, are they going to have him move around a little bit more? Uh, maybe do some off ball stuff with RJ. Um, it'll be interesting to see. But um, my worry, yeah, is that. The, the the way I can see this just going south is Brunson, for as gifted as he is, gets bogged down in an offense that's stagnant, without great spacing, um, with some clunkiness in the paint, and is still an efficient player, but not what he was in Dallas um, on higher volume. Um, and Randall gets back to respectable efficiency, but not like, you know, not like, you know, maybe he shoots league average on like a decent volume from three. Um, the mid-range game hopefully reigns it in, but maybe takes a few more than you'd like. Uh, and the offense kind of being a little bit better, but not that much better, um, just because, you know, maybe we find out that the ceiling really was just how they were, they were, you know, how, how stagnant it could be, right? And does Brunson solve that? I think he can, but is he going to solve that on a team that also has RJ or Randall? That's where, you know, how high can that starting lineup go offensively if there is going to be so much control? That would be the question, right? But um, but if you do have quickly Grimes, Rose, uh, Obi, and, and Hartenstein, that that, should, that bench should be even better than last year and even better than the year before. Um, so, um, and I think not just from the young players improving, I do think Rose adds to that, right? Um, you know, we can, whatever your thoughts on Quickly's development and being able to play on ball, like Rose adds value to that unit. Um, but I think that this team ceiling hits another level if they can really unlock more stuff, uh, more movement, and um, better spacing for Brunson. I mean, I got to say, lineup. one of the frustrating things for me has been the lack of usage of quickly in creative ways. And I know there will be people that are like, oh, you're just finding shit to blame on Tibbs. Like, I'm just going to say, I would encourage people that there's like this 20 minute YouTube clip of Quickly's college highlights. I would encourage you to go watch that. And you will see a player who is used almost all of it entirely off ball and in ways we have not seen in New York. Like, this is probably. He doesn't even do that with Fournier much, you know? No, no, he definitely. And, and this is one of my forever annoying beefs with Tibbs is just like, it's not just about quickly, but it's like, he just doesn't run stuff that opens up players off ball. Everything that the, every offensive set is almost like a very telegraphed. This is what we are trying to achieve with this player on this set. There's not like misdirection. You know what I mean? Like there's, 
it, it's very much like we are just trying to run. We're in power eye, and we're going to try and run this on your throat. There's no fucking like play action going on, misdirection, no pre-snap motion. There's none of that with Tim's offense. Tim's offense is just like, no, we are here to do this thing, and we'll either execute better than you, or that like, or you we will you will stop us. There, that's it. We will see who wins, and every possession is like a fucking battle. Um, and that's just like that's that's one of the kind of worries I have with his ability to maximize his roster. But again, like, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who say, well, in the fourth quarter, that's what matters, right? Ultimately, who can get a bucket in the playoffs? That's what matters. There are three quarters before the fourth quarter. I yeah, think. and the the third one, <laughs> and we see we saw that so often that in the you know we didn't do, see the off ball stuff that we're talking about, but we did see them move more without the ball. We did see them push the pace. And, um, you know, it, it would just kind of slow down in the, in the third. And if you're going to slow down and you want to play more in the half court, um, you can't rely on just two quarters of out isoing the other team because the other team is going to get some stops and they're not going to stop running. They want to come back. They're not going to stop shooting threes. Um, and so, um, you know, like that's, that's what you really want to see. And, um, you know, I, I hope that if he does trust these players more, if he trusts, Brunson more than he trusted Kemba. Um, if he trusts that defense, you know, Mitch is in better shape. You know, he doesn't worry about the defensive organization as much. Um, I am somewhat hopeful that, you know, maybe he doesn't pack it in before uh, at least the middle of the fourth, right? Um, and then, you know, the Knicks should be in better shape than they have been, um, even if they do run uncreative sets at the end of games, which I, I think people who do make that argument for what it's worth. Like you, you'll see teams with like great players ISO, but they still run some action and make the the t- other team defend something to at least try to get a better matchup for their guy, right? Um, you know. But having said that, even if the Knicks are just going to be, you know, one four flat, um, you know, you, well, we can play five out, bitch. Yeah. Um, Brunson is is the most gifted. Shock creator they've had since um, certainly that one season of Randall, but going back even more, probably someone like Mello. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's just yeah. Look, we'll see. I who do you think? Who do you think is the leading scorer for the Knicks this year? Brunson. Yeah, I think it's Brunson too. There's been like. I mean, I know that, and it's understandable why people have like discussed this. Um, I think it's pretty obvious. Like, if you just look at the history of Tibbs' teams, he puts a lot on that primary ball handler. Um, but that guy tends to score most of the points and be the leading scorer. I think he did that with Jimmy in Minnesota. He did that with Derek in Chicago. He did that with Jimmy in Chicago, also, right when the team kind of had to transition to that. So. Uh, I think it will be Brunson, but I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see because, um, look, they paid R.J. Barrett. He is the highest-paid player on the team now. That stuff usually comes with some additional offensive kind of responsibility. Responsibility. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, I do wonder, there is one exception that comes to mind, although they had so many injuries, that's probably what. But there was the season the offense ran through Noah, right? Um in many ways. And I wonder if there's creative ways for him to use certainly Hartenstein, but Randall as well. Right. Um, especially if he can give Randall more simple reads with half the floor. 
Um, you know, do you see him maybe incorporating some of that stuff? Sorry, say that again. The way he used Joe Kim Noah in Chicago, do you see him maybe using um, Randall a little bit more like that? Ah, uh, man, I uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't. He's just not that. Like Noah was actually a really good high post passer. Yeah, it's but not, I mean, is there a simplified version of those things that you can run yeah, for Randall? You give him half the floor to read, you know, those kind of things. The thing is, if Randall would just buy into being a screener more, it makes everything easier. Then then you can really weaponize him on offense. But, like, we've seen Randall in his career. Like, he's not done that a lot. You know, he's just not been in. And that's not to say he's not been in. But he's not going to, like, make a bunch of contact and set a bunch of monster screens, right? That's just not who he is. Um, so, I, I, know, I, I don't know. I'm. I just and even like the Noah thing. The thing we got to realize that is like he didn't really do that with Noah until he had to, you know, like until Rose was out and he had to like completely shift the offense. So I'm not sure about that. Uh, I, I'm just it'll be really interesting to see how he blends this stuff together because blending. Like, look, we just talked about like blending is not really how I describe to this offense, um, and we saw that last year, right? We saw that especially at the start of the year where we were like, is RJ just going to like chill in the corner for most of the year? Is that, that what's happening here? Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Um, I'm again, I'm, I'm excited though to see it. Like I, I'm at the point where I have to talk myself in the next season, but like, I genuinely believe that my macro concerns about the team are probably clouded and do still cloud at times some of my short-term views of the team. Um, because I do think, like, even despite some of our concerns about Tibbs, there is genuine reason to be, like, excited and somewhat optimistic. Not like we're going to win fucking, you know, playoff round or something, but, hey, we could be a competitive, fun team type of thing. Like, I think there is stuff to be positive about moving moving into this I mean, season. they should they should make the plan. They're one of the 10-10. Ten best teams in the East, I think. Um, I just, I'm very curious to see how that starting lineup works. Uh, I do think it's more than just Randall buying in. Um, I've said this before, but I think it that kind of underrates what guys like Obi are able to do. Like, if Randall buying into letting Brunson be the guy is to just stand at the three point line, and then if he gets the ball, hesitate, pump fake, and then pull into the twenty footer, like that's not really. Um, you know, then people will blame Brunson. See, like, Randall bought it, and he wasn't even dominating the offense. Like, no, you have to do more than that, right? Um, you have to um, you have to be willing. Um, I'm curious to see if RJ can improve as a three-point shooter to, like, really being an above-average guy at high volume. Um, I'm curious to see... Um, yeah, I'm curious to see how much they can get over some of the clunkiness of that starting lineup. And I think Julius is going to be the most important guy when it comes to that. And if he's, you know, if he's playing fast, running down the court, uh, even simple things like if he runs down the court and he's being guarded by a bigger power forward and they're forced to switch someone onto him and he gets deep position, feed him in the post. You know, I don't have a problem with that. I don't want him posting up for 20 feet, but if he's like, if he's in the paint um, and he's got like a wing on him or something, give him the ball. He's so bad at doing that, though. I mean, he, he never does like, his work early. Yeah. So. But that, those are the things, right? And that's not just buy-in, that's conditioning, which he has been working on. 
um, off ball, right? Can you find space and cut to it, right? Um, instead of watching him play somebody on a drive, if your guy is sucked in, can you sneak behind him back door? Um, when you get the ball and your drive gets stalled, will you keep your head up and, um, you know, find someone, right? Um, you know, when you do get the ball on a short roll, um, is your head up or are you, are you going straight to that spin move, right? Um, and these are things that Obi excels at. And I think Randall is capable of doing it, but I also think just to say it's only buy-in, uh, lessens what Obi really brings you in terms of those qualities. Um, but if Randall does do that, he's capable of being a really fun player with, with Brunson and with, um, you know, and with the rest of the guys. So. Yeah. Um, and I think if they do play, if they start Grimes, a lineup that has Grimes, Mitch, and RJ is capable of being really, really capable of getting after it on the other end too. Um, so. Yeah, I, I still think, um, I think most likely we see effectively the the lineup from last year, but with Brunson in place of Kemba or Burks or whatever. Um, and then we get Rose, IQ, Grimes, Obi, Kartenstein off the bench. But like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, so what worries me about that is even if yeah, Rondo is more that. energized, you know, I think does that offense have enough juice with Fournier playing to make up for the fact that, um, I mean, that, that backcourt is going to get targeted, right? So, um, and you're putting a lot on Mitch at that point, so. Yeah, um, putting a lot on Mitch, putting a lot on RJ, and yeah, I don't know. It's very... And it's not even like you can cross-switch because you don't really want Bronson, Brunson guarding at the point of attack. So ideally, if you have Grimes and RJ there, you can have Grimes take the point of attack defender. You know, if you're playing a lot of these teams where they have, you know, a point guard who's ball dominant and then a shooting guard who's more of an off-ball player. I Actually, Brunson is pretty good at getting around off-ball screens, uh, and he's very attentive off-ball. Like, that's the ideal role, guarding... Um, <laughs> you don't want him guarding someone like Steph. You don't really want him guarding someone like Clay, but he's better at those off-ball defenders, right? But if you, if you only have RJ, Fournier, and Brunson... Um, you know, you can put RJ on the point of attack guy, but then you have either Fournier or Brunson on probably a big wing, right? And most of these teams also have a wing player who's a really capable isolation player. What happens then, right? So that's really why you'd want RJ and either quickly or Grimes in the starting lineup so that, you know, usually these teams with two backcourt scorers, one usually on the wing and one in the backcourt, you can hide Brunson on whoever is the more off-ball guy. Um, you know, the kind of like what the Hawks did with, with Trey on Reggie Bullock. Um, even though I think Brunson's a much better defender than Trey. But with Forney there, I think there's going to be a lot of times where they just run into, run into, um, uh, defensive issues. And that's another thing we didn't talk about, but, you know, this is also why we want Cam to break out. But there, some of the worst games the Knicks had, uh, you know, there are a couple against the Pelicans. There was one against Charlotte. There was one against Minnesota. Uh, they just seem to just, just severe athleticism deficit. I think they might have won the Minnesota game. Um, but you know, there were a couple that got blown out where they just got run off the floor. Um, and that's what putting someone like Grimes in the starting lineup gives you because you're not going to have the ability to counter that if you're starting Brunson and Fournier. Um, you don't, because there's really, there's really no 
super quick. I mean, RJ is your best athlete in that lineup, right? Um, and that's another thing that the, the Knicks need to keep it. Like you, if you, the advantage sometimes of playing younger players over vets is they do give you those uh, that energy, that athleticism. So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. But overall, uh, the talent is there, um, and it really is on tips. So, yeah, uh, like, look, I think there's a lot of there's arguments to be made about like, did the front office do enough? Have they put him in a difficult position with the amount of players that are kind of like rotation worthy? And there's all kinds of things that we can talk about the front office, but I don't think I don't to, think to you be can, clear. If you give someone too many players that are rotation worthy, buddy, what are we doing? <laughs> Is that what yeah. you're criticizing them for? Yeah, like I mean, I think there's there's something to be said about what that inherently. Like art, like the mixed signal nature of some of these things, but like, look at the roster today. Look at the roster they inherited. Um, it's very obvious this is they've increased the talent of the team. Uh, they have done it without necessarily mortgaging the future in any serious way. They've, I wouldn't say that. I think it's wrong to say they're super flexible still, but like. They have not locked themselves in. It's probably the better way of putting it. Um, and the young talent they have drafted has been good. So, like, I think the overall shape of the team seems to be positive. But I think we're all just very worried about, like, how are they going to manage things this season? And also, like, what are the long-term decisions that are being like, what are the long-term goals that we're prioritizing? Because it's very unclear. Um, and you know, look, they were obviously interested in trading for Donovan Mitchell. That trade didn't happen, but um, yeah. And I mean, I think yeah. not to harp on it, but part of the question is: Is Julius part of? Is Julius part of a future with this franchise? I think a lot of us said no. Particularly if Tibbs is here, but he's still here. Uh, but he's yeah. still here, and. You know, maybe he 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 can become that role man, right? And exceed in that role, uh, no pun intended. Uh, and then maybe they trade the young guys. I don't know. Um, but if he doesn't, if he if he struggles again, you know, they can't really move him. Um, and you've learned you don't know much about Obi at that point. Um, you know, that's where we're really struggling. So um, I don't. I mean, I think. The the rosy scenario to me is, um, you know, the the young guys buy in for another year in, in you know maybe twenty minutes a game. Um, the bench blows teams out of the water. The starters are end up being a plus unit as well. This, this you know and and can usually outplay teams that don't have some high end talent, right? Um, as a result of Brunson scoring. Randall having a bit of a renaissance and just being locked down defensively. I'm still hopeful Grimes starts, so I think that um, that those things are all on the table. Um, and maybe they maybe they surprise people and they do get to like, um, you know, maybe they upset a team like Atlanta to play and maybe they even get to succeed, right? You know, there's maybe Boston implodes, right, or there's injuries somewhere. You know, you don't want to wish for that, but um, you know, or maybe or maybe they just end up being that good. Um. But um, but kind of on that note, before we, we get out of here, I do want to ask you: Can you give me a best case scenario, a worst case scenario, and kind of what you expect? Uh, you know, 
procrastination. Progress. I can't say it. Uh, predictions. Let's go with that. Prognostications. Are you going with? Pro- yeah, I think so. Or <laughs> prognosis. I don't know. You said you said envelope earlier instead of envelope, which I did correct, but it was funny. Um, Spent so much time in Chennai, bro. I adopted. <laughs> uh, okay. Worst case scenario. I've outlined this multiple times. I just think team gets off to a bad start. There's the early West Coast trip. Uh, it's obvious that the starting lineup. Uh, with Fournier and Brunson isn't working. Uh, Tibbs is still leaning on Julius way too much, and he's not improved his shot-making or decision-making, and his effort on defense is still poor. Uh, And amidst all of this, young players are being marginalized in in misguided attempts at winning. And the Knicks have to fire Tibbs 30 games into the season. 40 games into the season, let's say that. 30 games seems really 40 games into the season. And Johnny Bryan takes over, and like the season's kind of a write off. And, and we're right back where we are. Yeah. Something like that. That I think is like the worst case scenario. The Knicks obviously don't make the playoffs in this scenario, which to some people would be the best case scenario. Um, but yeah, the Knicks don't make the playoffs. And they, they don't make the, the playoffs. But, yeah. Well, they don't make the playoffs, and they don't, they're nowhere near the bottom. So you're still kind of stuck in the little, like kind of like where they ended up last year, right? Um, so I think that's the worst. And again, case with less clarity on the young guys, trade value yeah. is not high. Yeah. Randall probably so that, still not um, a desirable yeah. contract. Yeah, so that's that's the worst case scenario. I'd say like they end up going, you know, like thirty three and forty nine or something like that. Uh, best case scenario is Randall bounces back to not all NBA level or R star level, but really good, efficient scorer at the bare minimum, and just tries somewhat consistently on defense. Uh, Brunson hits the ground running. He's a 20-point, efficient 20-point, 7-assist caliber starting point guard, which I don't think is actually unreasonable. Um, And R.J. Barrett improves his decision-making, improves as a passer, playmaker, slightly and gets to like league average efficiency efficiency on offense. Um, the Knicks get off to a great start. IQ and Obi are killing it off the bench. Rose dials it back to 2020, 2021. Uh, the team is just destroying teams off the bench. The starters are playing pretty solid. Hardenstein's a great signing. That team maybe they can get to like 48 and 34 something like that i feel like that would be the high end of so like a six case. seed i mean is that a six seed probably that's probably better right 48 wins in this eastern conference that's probably going to be like a five or maybe even a four seed like this is a tough this east is brutal man i don't know how many the top team in the conference might just might win like 54 55 games i don't think you're going to get like a 60 win team this year I'd be surprised. Anyway. Yeah, but you might have a lot of teams in that. Um, like when the West was stacked, I remember like the eight seed was 48 wins. Um, so I think the bottom of the league is way better now, though, across the board, especially in the East. So there's just there's uh, fewer free nights for everyone to. Yeah, I mean, like what free night are you getting in the East this year? Um. Maybe Charlotte if they just have a disaster season, which is possible. But they're I mean, not actively trying to be bad. Yeah, I mean Orlando has given the Knicks trouble even when they are actively trying to be, be bad. 
And I just um, like their talent. Like I just think they're gonna be they're not gonna be good, but they're not gonna be an easy night, you know? Um Detroit is probably still gonna be bad. But they're they're another team. They're not gonna be an easy night. Like they are gonna compete and Dwayne Casey coaches up the defense. Like they're gonna be annoying to play. And then from a talent level, the Pacers are just bad. Yeah, they're the one team I think they're like legit an easy night. Like I mean, As Turner is still pretty talented. Halliburton's a good player, but um, like Halliburton's sure probably not going to be good as a rookie. Are we are we sure that Turner's going to be there for too long? You know. Yeah, I mean they're probably going to cut bait at some point. Um, yeah. So barring the off, you know, maybe Halliburton takes a leap, but um, you know, um, it's probably just them. So yeah, I mean it's not um. This is going to be yeah, a brawl. So. You know what I was thinking, though, today? And I think this is actually, like, kind of crazy. The one thing that, and we maybe don't talk about this enough, that really could fuck the Knicks up compared to teams that are similar level of talent in the East, the Knicks easily play in the best division in the conference. The, like, the, would you, are, is, is Boston an automatic playoff team to you? Like a I mean, lot. I'm very interested to see what happens with them. Um, I don't think... I'm not saying like they got to compete. I'm just saying, are they going to be a top six team in the conference? So automatic play. Bet on it. But they, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't... Under, what I'm saying is I wouldn't underestimate the, the um, you know, what's happened with the Doka and the effect that could have. But talent-wise, it's... And, and Williams. Um, but yeah, I'll say yes. Okay. Is Philly? Yes, barring injuries. Okay. Is Toronto? Yes. Is Brooklyn? Potentially. Like, who knows what's going to happen, but the talent... I think they're pretty happens. much a lock to make the playoffs. I'll well, we that. don't know. You know, there are variables, right? So there, there are, but they had literally all the variables go against them last year. I feel like even if 50%... Of, if, if only 50% go against them this year, that's still an improvement. I think I think they're, like, definitely going to be a playoff team. That's That's the entire division. And the Knicks are better. Their Knicks are for sure a better team than they were last year. But, like, that's what could fuck over the Knicks because they have more games against more playoff teams just by being in the division they're in. Um, like, there's a reasonable case that, like, four of the top... I think last year... Or, not last year, but, like, there's a reasonable argument that four of the top five teams in the Eastern Conference will be from the division. Or at least four of the top six. Yeah, um, and that's crazy. You know, a team like that's. I mean, do you think that helped Chicago last year, relative to us? Yes, absolutely. They got four games against the Pistons. They got four, four games the against the Pacers, who were terrible. Um, like that, that definitely helps you. So yeah, I mean that that's you're talking about eight cupcakes versus. The, the, there's not a cupcake that, a game that you get in the division. Yeah, right? like I mean the Knicks, the Knicks will get the Knicks. Six, are, the Knicks will still get six games against those two teams, for example, right? But, they do, but but your division matters so much in basketball. Like even like so, the, the Bulls get Cleveland and Milwaukee in their division. Yeah, so they get. I would. Yeah, good. Sir. Yeah, and then and then you get the Pacers stuff. Like that's I don't know that they're. That's a pretty soft, nice little little bump there. And the thing is, like, it it's it doesn't matter that much, but like 
when the margins are going to be this tight in the conference, it seems like it does matter. That, yeah. yeah, it does and matter. Same thing, so, you could do yeah. the same thing if we're competing with Charlotte, Chicago, potentially Atlanta. Um, you know, they get, I mean, the Magic will be better, but, um, you know, they get an extra game against them. I'm interested to see what happens with the Wizards, but I do think there's implosion potential there. Um, and, you know, they get games against them. Uh, and then, yeah, like the Knicks, the Knicks are going to have to play those teams we talked about 16 times, right? The other Eastern Conference teams only have to play them 12 times. Yeah, that's 20% that's extra... of your schedule. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, um, must be tough. Um, but the Knicks certainly have the horses to do it. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I'm not even making an excuse. I'm just saying, like, it's a, I feel like we talk about divisions way more in football than we ever do in the NBA. Um, but I was like looking at it today and I'm just like, holy shit, like the Knicks. I'm like the next division is actually like fucking stacked. Yeah, um, I, I mean, but so that and pro- that probably is something to keep in mind. Something that someone like Ian might bring up in terms of, um, the uh, you know, in terms of reasons to to give Tibbs a break. But I think it's also the way the Knicks lose those games, right? If they miss the playoffs, but they're competitive, uh, and they, I mean, if you can see that they're just out talented, right? That's one thing, but if they're jumping out to huge leads, um, I'm blowing them. Like that, that three and seventeen stretch can't happen again. Not the way it did. If that if that happens again, he should be fired. Like that was, he is so lucky to have kept his job after that. That was atrocious, absolutely atrocious. Um, and, and I would, I mean, there were several games: Portland, Oklahoma City. The uh, Brooklyn game right before All Star break was none of them a joke. Did Kyrie play even. No, none of them played. Yeah, so that was that was that was a joke. That, that was, was a shameful performance. Yeah, that that was like was I, I would have fired him. I yeah, I, I would have fired him after that game. That was absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't again. I'm not. I don't want to do this. I don't. I don't want to do the, the Tibbs blame. By no, thing. but what I'm saying yeah. is, yeah. if yeah. they if they don't have shit like that happen regularly, and you know maybe they do just miss the playoffs. They finish tenth, right? And it's just a brutal schedule. You know, I mean, we lost a lot of tough games his first year. Um, and until the end of the season, it did look like we were just a fringe playoff team, right? Um, his first year, there were a bunch of heartbreaking losses to Philly, to um, to Miami. I mean, I, you know, we weren't killing him over... I mean, I, I think me and you even, you were defending him, right? Or not defending him, but, you know, there's that Lakers game where they lost. And I was really just, you know, I wanted them to ISO less late in the fourth. And you and Benji were saying, you know, this is what a lot of teams do. And and the Lakers were a really good defensive team. You know, if those are the quality of how they lose, I don't think you can give Tibbs too much shit. But um, but you know, it's it's just the way they lost so many of those games last year, um, that um that was discouraging. And um, and we'll see. But um, but there's certainly a lot of reason for optimism. I think there's reasons to believe Tibbs and Randall will both be better than last year. Um, how much better and how much that matters is uh is the $64,000 question. So, Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, all right. Well, that is our pod for today. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, Stacy, plug anything you'd like to plug? Uh, nothing to plug. Um, oh, I'll, I'll plug. There's a great article on Quickly on the Strickland by a um, new contributor, um, Arya Chow, I believe, or uh, A. Charles on Twitter. So I encourage you to follow him. Uh, he's going to be doing a lot more draft stuff. 
but a uh, really good article on quickly uh, on the Strickland um, that uh, I think everyone should read. So. Yeah. Um, I will plug that article. That was fantastic. One of the best pieces we've ever put out on the site and really just a great basketball article. And it's a great piece of writing um, if you're into that. So definitely check that out. Uh, I will plug uh, all the work that we're doing over at the site and uh, all the podcasts and everything. Things will be kicking into gear, so everybody get ready. And, um, yeah, look, that's our pod for today. Everybody, I hope everybody enjoyed it. I will uh, hope everybody has a great week, and I will see you on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.